Right, we're going to uh, hear God's Word again. And this is a passage that the teaching is based on today. It's Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to consider your word and what this passage is teaching us uh, and how we need to respond, we pray, Father, that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful things in your word. We pray that your spirit would uh, enable us to make the connections uh, to see the things in our lives that we need to turn from and put to death and the, th- the, the places where we need to uh, walk anew and begin new paths uh, so that we can walk in paths of righteousness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Do you know, back in 2002, Jasmine and I uh, bought our first home uh, it was a three old three-bedroom farmhouse, uh, very run down. We um, bought it with the intention of renovating it, and it was advertised as having a lot of character. And so when we moved in, we came to realise that when they said character, uh, didn't necessarily mean things like woodwork or stained glass windows. But if you want to talk about character, this house had some very unique character. Uh, for instance. On really windy days, the gaps in the flooring meant that the carpet actually hovered about 20 or 30 centimetres above the floorboards. And the, the plaster on one side of our bedroom wall was, would act like a bellows. The wind howled. Uh, there were a whole lot of characteristics that uh, didn't suit us as new owners. Uh, it had carpet in both the kitchen and the bathroom. Uh, there were no curtains on the windows, no insulation in the floor or the walls or even the ceiling. Uh, The walls were stained from cigarette smoke. uh, And there were some unwelcome guests who would regularly um, come around. Uh, For example, one night as I was drifting off to sleep, I could hear a rustling uh, next to my head on the bedside um, cupboard. And when I reached over and turned the light on, here was a rat pulling a tissue out of the tissue box. (laughs) And, And when I sat up, I could see it running off with a tissue. So it obviously had a nest in the house. But the worst part about this house, probably the defining characteristic that had to change was the colour scheme, because the main colour, both inside and out, was Mission Brown. Good old Mission Brown, the ugliest colour ever invented. And so there were many things about this house that didn't initially suit us. Things that had to change, things that had to go because they didn't fit with who we were as the new owners. And do you realise it's kind of like that with our lives? 
See, when you become a Christian, it is like new home ownership. A new owner comes in. And we've been seeing all through Colossians that when you come to Christ, you are united to him so that his life now defines you. And when, when that happens, now there's a whole host of things that no longer fit with who you are. Things that have to go. Things that need to be changed. Uh, like that old house. Uh, things that don't fit or don't suit the new owner. Uh, there are thoughts, actions, words, desires, uh, values that are actually out of place, no longer fit. And they have to go. In fact, it's stronger than that. They need to be killed. They need to be put to death. And that's what this passage is all about. It's about putting sin to death in your life or killing sin. And therefore, it applies to every single one of us in this room because we all sin and therefore we all need to put this passage into practice. And uh, we're going to look at this passage under three headings because the passage... Um, I'm not necessarily going to work through it consecutively, but it does teach us three things. In this passage, we learn the reason we need to kill sin. We learn some of the things that we, the particular things we need to kill. And we also learn the power, the power that we need to kill sin. So let's have a look at these three things. Uh, first, the reason to kill sin, it's in verse 5, where it, it says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Now, what do you think the most important word in that sentence is? It's the word therefore. Because that word therefore tells us that, that, that putting sin to death, it's the outworking of something that we've just, well, three weeks ago now, <laughs> just looked at in the passage before. Uh, the passage before us told us that who are we as Christians? What defines our life? It's Jesus. The key phrase in the last passage was, your life is hidden in Christ. <clears throat> That's who you are. <clears throat> so the way God relates to you now is that he treats you as if everything that Jesus achieved happened to you. So Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again. He ascended into heaven God now considers all of that as having happened to you. And as a result, by implication, what that means is that God, when he looks at you as having died with Christ on the cross, he considers your old life dominated by sin is now gone, it's dead. When God considers you having risen with Christ... He considers you as having risen to a new life of fellowship with him, this resurrection life. In Christ's ascension, God now considers you as belonging right where his son is, at his right hand. That's your real address. That's where you belong. That's your true home. See, everything about you, it's now defined by Jesus. That's who you are. And because of that, Verse 5 says, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. In other words, it's saying that because your true self is who you are in Christ, you now need to kill off everything in your life that doesn't match that, that doesn't suit your true identity of being in Christ. 
put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And so this it actually shows us that when it comes to practicing the Christian life, when it comes to this, this huge task of putting sin to death in our life, we're not called to do that in order to make ourselves right with God. That's not what it's about. Because if we are in Christ, we are already right with God. When we're in Christ, He is actually our righteousness. You're clothed in Christ's righteousness. So do you think there's anything you can do to improve on that? Can you add anything to Christ's righteousness to make it better? Of course not. You are already considered righteous in Christ and therefore this call to put sin to death, it's not about changing our standing with God. It's not about getting closer to Him and making Him like us more. But why do we do it? Because we have been made right with God, because we are in this relationship with Him now, and we're to live that out. We're to put to death everything that doesn't fit with our true identity of being in Christ. And so that is very freeing. There's a sense of freedom when it comes to putting sin to death. We're not trying to make ourselves something we're not. We're not trying to, to do something that seems impossible. We're already right. We're already accepted. Now walk in the freedom of that, the freedom of having died to sin and risen to a new life in Christ. Live out that freedom. And that's what this word therefore tells us. Put sin to death because of who you are in Christ. So I ask you today, are you in Christ? Is Christ your life? Hey, are you trusting in him? Are you depending on his righteousness as you're standing with God? If you are, then you are in Christ. Therefore, live that out. Put sin to death in the freedom of being in Christ. So that's the reason to do it. And uh, we'd see, well, so what does it involve then? What does it mean to put sin to death? Sounds a bit violent, doesn't it? Killing. We're called to kill. To kill an enemy. What is the enemy? It's inside of us. It's our, well, verse 5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So earthly, that's, it's talking about uh, the earthly nature or the sinful nature that we sometimes call it. Uh, it shows us that there's still a part of us, even though our lives are now defined by who we are in Christ, while we continue to exist in this fallen earthly body, there's still a part of us that still desires the old way. Okay, we want to go back to the old life. There's still this part of us that, that still seeks independence from God. In fact, other parts in the Bible talk about a war going on in our hearts where we've been made alive, the Spirit is in us, convicting us and, and urging us to walk in obedience to God, and yet the sinful nature still remains until that day we appear with Christ in glory. And so between now and that day, there will be a tension, there will be a war within, where by the power of the Spirit, we want to go forward in obedience, and yet by the fallen sinful nature, we, we want to go back to the old ways. And so here, verse 5 is saying we are to put those old ways to death. 
we're to go after sin. Okay, we can't be indifferent to it. We can't be pretending that it's not there. We shouldn't be denying the things that we do that are wrong. Instead, we need to actually identify them, call them out for what they are, hunt them down and actually kill them. And in practice, that actually means identifying sin, confessing it to God, and then putting every measure in place so that we avoid doing it again. And this call to put sin to death is a call to be vigilant because sin is so deceptive. It's, it's, you know, the moment... You've probably experienced this. The moment where you think, there, I'm done with that one. You know, I can relax. Don't have to worry about sin anymore. That's the moment sin is regrouping and, and taking back ground. Put sin to death. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And just one other thing about this phrase, put to death, the grammar of it in, in the original language, it shows us that it's, it is a decisive action. There is to be a clean break with particular sins in your life. And it's a clean break that, or a decisive action that needs to be done more than once. It needs to be done over and over. Uh, the analogy that I like the best is um, the analogy of trying to eradicate weeds from your garden. Because in your garden you have all of these weeds and pulling a weed out, that is a decisive act, isn't it? So if you pull that weed out, that weed is now dead. But does that mean you've now defeated that weed from your garden? No, because there are seeds still there. You're going to have to keep doing that decisive action over a period of time by making sure that you're not letting those weeds keep growing. And when they do appear, pluck them out, roots and all. To defeat weeds, to eradicate a certain weed from your garden, you need a dedicated season of killing them and starving them of opportunities to grow. And it's like that with sin. Okay, when a particular, you see a particular sin, there's a decisive action, stop doing that. But you're going to have to do that more than once. You're going to have to do that over a season, a season of killing a particular sin. But we must put sin to death. Why? And this is the number one thing I don't want you to miss. Why do we do it? Because of who you are in Christ. Because it doesn't fit with who you are. Therefore, put sin to death. And I wonder, maybe some of you here have actually forgotten about this aspect of, of belonging to Christ. Um, maybe you haven't really been thinking about it often lately. Uh, maybe some of you have been discouraged in the process of putting sin to death. Maybe you've been at it for a long time and there might just be one sin that comes to your mind right now that just can't seem to put it to death. It keeps coming back. Maybe a recent relapse has really discouraged you in this battle. Or maybe for some of us, it's we just slackened off, just become lazy. Why does that happen? Why, why do we slacken off in, in the fight against sin? It always comes back down to what's, what Paul's getting at in this word, therefore. It's when we forget who we are in Christ, when we take our eyes off Jesus. That's when we go coast along forgetting that this battle is real and we can't let up 
Okay? Therefore, remember who you are. Remember that you are in Christ and that is the reason to kill sin. That's the first point. Okay, the second thing we see in this passage is that there are some particular things to kill. And the list, there's two lists in this passage. It doesn't cover everything, but there's certainly enough here to keep us occupied uh, for a lifetime. And uh, let's have a look at the first list in verse 5. Uh, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And here's, here's the particulars. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. <clears throat> now notice the first three things on that list have to do with sexuality. And uh, they really cover any sexual sin you can come up with. It covers them all. And the fact that this list begins with sex has led some people to think, um, you know, God is against sex. You know, he thinks it's dirty and we should have nothing to do with it at all. That's clearly wrong <laughs> because God invented it. God is the one who designed. He created sex. He designed it, but he designed it for a very, very unique purpose. The purpose for which God created sex is to be an expression of intimacy and self-giving between a man and a woman who have entered into a lifelong covenant relationship called marriage. That's why God designed sex. And that is the only context in which any sexual expression can occur. Outside of that very particular context, how much sexual expression is allowed? Ephesians 5 verse 3 says, not even a hint. So God's word is very clear. And, do you know, this is probably the number one thing in our culture that people scoff at in the Bible. You know, in our sexualized, hyper-sexualized culture, we can call it, this is something that so many dismiss as outdated and even harmful to our psychological health. And yet, even within our overly sexualized culture, we can see that people realize there has to be restrictions on our sexuality. You can't just let it run free or it causes all kinds of devastation. You know, so often in the, in the news there are reports of court cases over what really what is consent in a particular case. Uh, that Me Too movement has gained a lot of ground over the last two or three years, and that shows us that everyone recognises that there has to be boundaries. There has to be boundaries, or it causes so much devastation. But the problem with our culture the reason why our culture will never get the boundaries in the right place is because they don't start with the one who designed sex. They don't start with his rules, the one who knows how it is to work and how it, where freedom actually is. And they need to consult the designer. And so the distorted boundaries of our culture will actually never bring the freedom that goes with God's design and purpose for it. See, in the end, God's design for sex is actually the only one that works. But what mainly concerns us here from this verse is what is it saying to us in this room today? And it's saying this, if you are having lustful thoughts, if you are in the habit of looking at inappropriate material, 
Uh, if you're visiting websites or places or people, if you have a secretive life, it has to go. It has to be put to death. It has, there has to be a decisive action of killing that sin. And not only because it's destructive, not only because it will hurt you and hurt others, but what's the reason for killing sin? Remember, remember the first point. It doesn't fit with who you are in Christ. This is not what Christ has saved you for. That belonged to the old life of bondage and misery. Christ has given you a new life of freedom and joy. And here it is. Put sin to death. It doesn't fit with who you are in Christ. But another thing that verse 5 illustrates is if we have a look at any sinful behaviour in our lives, and, and, and ask the question, where does it come from? Why do we do it? Verse 5 actually does tell us. Because if you look at the list, you'll notice how it moves from uh, outward behaviour right to the, the desires that produce that behaviour. But then it tells us the root cause of those desires. And so if you look at verse 5 again, it says sexual immorality, impurity, passion. Okay, they're all outward acts. Uh, evil desire... So now we're getting into the heart. And covetousness, which is idolatry. And so notice how this, this verse, it moves from the outward behaviour to inward desire to the cause. And what is the cause of all sinful behaviour? It's covetousness, which is idolatry. Let's just think that out for a little bit. Okay, what is an idol? An idol is something that we love and worship in the place of God. And so for Paul to say that covetousness is idolatry, that actually tells us that an, an idol is not, it's not just something that we worship in the place of God, it's actually something that we want in the place of God, something that we want more than we want to honour God. That's covetousness, it's the, the wanting of something. And so deep in our hearts is this idol that says, I want this thing more than I want to honour God. I have to have this thing, and I don't care what God says, I have to have it. That's the heart of an idol. And so if we apply that to um, sexual immorality, as this verse does, and it's saying that my, you know, it's in your heart, my sexual gratification is more to me, or I want it more than I want to honour God. And so if sexual immorality is present in your life, then you know what's causing that. That sex has become an idol. Sex is an idol in your heart. And when you understand that, you see that that is actually the pattern for all, for all sin. All of it comes from an idol, wanting something more than God. And you can actually see that in the next list. Uh, if we go to verse 8 of oh, it, it's down the bottom there. Sorry, Ethan. Uh, verse 8, um, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And then in verse 9 it says, do not lie to one another. So uh, here's another list of, of um, sins. And uh, remember verse 5 was about sexual immorality. Verse 8 is about sins of, of the tongue. So wrath, malice, slander... 
How do all of those express themselves? Out of the mouth. I mean, they also come on <laughs> through the fists as well sometimes, but the primary way is, is out of the mouth. And we know uh, from Jesus that all speaking problems are actually heart problems because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the, the heart, the mouth speaks. And so whenever you encounter a, a problem with, with your speech, such as um, angry words or slander, obscene talk, lying. Again, it all points that there's a problem deep inside. And if we look at verse 5 again, we, we know that the problem always comes back down to an idol. It's like when you find... Uh, let's think about pulling out a weed, for, for example. Now, when you pull out a weed, if it breaks off at the ground level, that's not going to work because there's roots there. The roots have to come up. And, and the root of all sin is idolatry. And when it comes to word problems, what our word problems almost always uh, show us is that there's an idolatry of the self. Because anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk and lying, that's all about the idol of the self. You know, why do we get angry? Because someone is getting in the way of my plans or my control or, or my, uh, my uh, will. Someone's hindering my comfort. Someone's upsetting my agenda. That's why we get angry. What does that point to? There's an idol of the self. I must come first. Uh, we gossip and slander. Why? To feel good about ourselves. Why do we lie? To make ourselves look better in the eyes of others. See, if we follow... If we look, here's a sinful behaviour, what's behind it, what's deep in the heart, the idol of the self. And so when it comes to putting sin to death, not only do we want to put to death the action itself, but we have to go deeper than that. We've got to find what is driving this behaviour. Where is this coming out of? What's at the source? What's the root? And we'll always find there's an idol in there. Uh, that's why... Uh, William Cowper, um, a hymn writer, he wrote a hymn called Oh for a Closer Walk with, with God. It's all about what this passage is talking about. And one of the verses, it goes like this. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. And that is so important. You will not get free of sinful behaviour until you tear the idol out that is causing that. And so when it comes to confession of sin, which we need to do regularly, we want to confess to God not only the behaviour, but also the idol that was driving it. At some point in our, in our confession to God, we need to be saying to God, forgive me because I have loved this thing, whatever that thing is, I have loved it more than I have loved you. I've wanted it more than I've wanted you. And that's the root cause. Confess that. Put that to death and you will get free. And a good practice is to do some good, honest self-reflection every day. Uh, I make it a regular habit to do this every night before I go to sleep. To think about the day, in what ways did I allow my sin to express itself, and what does that reveal about what is going on in my heart? 
and I talk to God about that. I confess it to him. I talk about how, how wrong that is and, and ask his forgiveness and think about decisive actions that I can do the next day to make sure I don't do that again. We all need to do that because that's part of putting sin to death. Okay, so we've looked at the reason to kill sin, the particular things we need to kill. And at this point, you're probably feeling, boy, this is hard. And, and, and perhaps the thing that, that makes it the hardest is that it's not short-lived. This is not something we can do and by Wednesday we're done. This is a lifelong practice and as a result it can feel like it's just too much. And if you have been burdened by a particular sin and, and you haven't seen change, it can feel like this is never going to happen. So where do you get the power to keep going? Where do you get the motivation to keep persevering to keep going, putting sin to death. Well, there are three things that Paul gives us in this passage. Three ways that will empower us to kill sin. And uh, this is the reason I didn't work consecutively through the passage because Paul goes, he says, do this and here's a reason why. Do this, here's a reason why. So now we're going to look at the reasons why. The things that will empower us to keep going. And the first one is that we need to see sin from God's perspective. And that's in verse 6. Notice how Paul, when he talks about uh, the sins of sexual immorality, he says on, in verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's reminding us that God is going to do something about sin in the world one day. Okay? Judgment day is coming. That's the day when his anger against sin will be poured out, it will be punished. And the question we need to ask, though, is why does Paul bring that in as a motivation to put sin to death? Because you might think what it's saying is you better put sin to death in your life or God's going to get you. God's wrath is going to come upon you if you don't put sin to death. Is that what Paul's saying? No, no, the therefore at the start of the passage reminds us there's something else going on. If you're in Christ, what has happened to God's wrath against your sin? It has been satisfied. Because Christ has died on the cross and paid for it in full, God's wrath against you is, has been satisfied. And so Paul can't be saying that you better put sin to death or God's going to come and get you. So what does he mean then? He's reminding us just how serious our sin any sin is. He's helping us to see our sin from God's perspective. That God hates it. That he absolutely hates it. And yes, one day he is going to come and judge all of those who are not in Christ. Because Christ is the only refuge from his wrath on judgment day. But for us who are in Christ, we need to realise just how offensive sin is to God. How much he hates it. His wrath is against sin. And that is helpful for us, for us to think about because usually we look at sin from our own perspective. And to us, it doesn't look so bad. You know, sometimes it can look a little bit cute and cuddly. But when we realise God's holiness, that in, God's, in his holiness, he absolutely hates sin. He must punish sin. 
then we realise we can't be indifferent to it any longer. We can't treat it lightly. We can't treat it as if it's a, a good friend. When I measure my sin against God's holiness, I realise that I have to act. Do you see how this helps? It's empowering. When we see the seriousness of sin, that is actually empowering to put it to death. And where do we see God's wrath against our sin most clearly? In the cross. When Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you hear his cry of dereliction, we're seeing how serious God takes our sin. And when we hear that cry of Jesus, we realise it was my sin that put Jesus there. How can I keep going in it as if it doesn't matter? Do you see how that's empowering? So that's the first thing. We need to see our sin from God's perspective. But second, we always need to remember who we are in Christ. See, I'm I'm now coming back to the first point, but Paul does as well, because in verse 7 he says, uh, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. So again, Paul's reminding us, you've got a new life. The old life is dead. So don't keep going back to the old life. You're new. And so when you do sin, you should actually be saying to yourself, why am I doing this? That's not who I am. That was the old me, but I'm a new creation. I shouldn't be doing that anymore. And verse 9, it repeats that idea where, with this helpful picture of clothing, um, Paul says, uh, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so that that image of put off, put on, uh, it's just to remind us that that old life dominated by sin, that's been taken off like a garment. And the new life, which is life in Christ, that's what we now have. So we've got to live that out. Don't go back to the old life. You know, imagine someone being picked up from the slums in some country, brought into a, a wealthy home, given a new set of clothes, a new lifestyle. Imagine that person going back to the slums the next day as if all of this new stuff wasn't theirs. That would be crazy. That's what happens when we go back to sin. We're forgetting who we are, what what we've been given in Christ. And again, that's empowering, this new life. Live it out. Uh, the, The third empowering thing that we're told in this passage is that we're not left alone in this fight. Okay, up until now, you know, I've been saying, put sin to death, you must do it, which is what the passage says. And yet in verse 10, Paul says we are a new self, which is, look at it, being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You are being renewed. Who is doing it? God is doing it. Okay, you're not left alone. It's not you on your own, in your own strength. God is working in you. And what we're called to do is participate with him. To work out what he has worked in. See, you've been given strength. It's empowering Uh, Philippians 2, 12 to 13 states this idea as well. It says, Continue to work out your salvation 
with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. See, we're not going to be free of the presence of sin until we appear with Christ in glory. But until that day, we're not left alone in the battle. God is working in us. His spirit is empowering us. We're called to participate in this task. We're to put sin to death, everything right down to the idols of our hearts, everything that doesn't match who we are in Christ. And that's what we're called to do. And it is a little bit ironic that we're talking about this today because this is the time of the year where most people are thinking about things that need to change in their lives. You know, New Year's resolutions. And uh, usually, you know, we think about um, got to exercise more, got to renovate the house more, got to um, talk to my kids more. All those things which are really good. But what goes at the top of the list? What, what is the things that need to change? We've got to confront sin in our life. Okay, is there something in your life that you haven't confronted? Something you've, you've sort of just let go? Well, today's the day to do it. Kill those things that don't fit who you are in Christ. <clears throat> well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for all of the, the wonderful, empowering uh, truths of this passage that in Christ we are a new creation that in Christ we are being renewed each day that in Christ we've been saved from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and we have this promise that one day the presence of sin will be gone forever and we thank you Father that from that uh, position of strength of your strength that we are now called to this, this great task of putting sin to death in our lives. And Father, we pray that you would uh, enable us to take that on board seriously. That even today we might think about what is it that I need to do? What decisive acts do I need to take to kill sin? We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would encourage us in this battle, that we would see progress, but Lord, in all of it, help us not to take our eyes off Jesus because he is, he is our life, he is our new life, he is our strength and he is our assurance that sin no longer has a hold on us, that it no longer condemns us and that one day we will be completely free indeed. And we thank you for that in his name. Amen.